Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. I need 
your holy name. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, for what you're going to do. Thank you, Father, that you're in control, that we are not only your servants, but also your children, your bride, and your friend. We ask, Father, for special help today. I ask you, Father, to help me to deliver this message, to help the people understand the truth about salvation and grace and law, to help the people understand what Paul really taught and what he did not teach, to prepare the people to defend the truth, for them to not be caught away in a snare of lies and deceptions by blind, ignorant people that don't know the Bible, but would deceive us and lead us astray, that we would be able to protect ourselves with the knowledge of the truth of the Holy Scriptures with this foundation today that will be laid as a preventative, uh, a preventative of being carried away to falsehood. Your word would not return void nor vain, but shall accomplish the purpose of which forth it is being sent this day. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim. So be it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Hello, Kiki. AJ. Lisa. Melissa, hopefully. And anybody else may be listening, either live or to be broadcast later. Just bear with me because I am very, very sick today. I have a very bad cold or a flu or something. But I will press forward. Please excuse me when I struggle. But I will press forward with this message. Amen. Turning to Romans chapter 6. This is one of the verses that the liars use. Try to say that we don't have to do anything to inherit eternal life. They say all that you have to do is believe, say one prayer, and they will even give you the words of the prayer, and repeat after them what's written on paper, or as they speak it for us, if you repeat their words instead of playing yourself from the heart, that they are God when they do that. God doesn't want to hear somebody else's words, somebody else's heart. He wants to hear your heart, your words, your repentance, your sincerity. Amen? It is this Romans 6, look at verse 23. This is page 157. For the wages of sin is death, but the blessing of spiritual empowerment from Theos is eternal life 
New King James, New American Standard, NIV, it says, yes, the gift from God is eternal life. So that word gift in Greek is more than just giving somebody a present. That's not what it means. It means spiritual empowerment. When you think of the gifts, such as the gift of tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues, the gift of prophecy, and other gifts of the Spirit, it's not only just presence, it's not just something that somebody that God gives you, but rather it's a spiritual empowerment that He gives you. He's giving you the ability in the spiritual realm to proclaim the Word of God and it will happen. Amen. So the spiritual empowerment for Theos is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means not only will He give us eternal life, but he will give us the ability to stay alive which is in the spirit instead of just only in the flesh. The spiritual empowerment, the spiritual ability to be alive forever and not ever die. That's a very powerful, very powerful gift, a very powerful empowerment is that ability to live forever and not die. The liars will say that this proves that because it's a gift, because it's a present, you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is believe. If you was to use this verse, one verse, theology, all by itself, it may seem that way. Amen. It may seem that way at first glance. But as the book of Isaiah says, we should be a here a little, there a little, without reading the scripture. And in the context of what is talking about in Isaiah, it, it, it very clearly defines the context as being how do we come to maturity and correction of correctness of doctrine. That's the context very, very clearly in that chapter in Isaiah. That how you come to maturity in correct doctrine is by reading here a little, there a little, line upon line, and precept upon precept. Precept upon precept means you learn a little at a time, then God gives you a little bit more, God gives you a little bit more different precepts, different doctrines that he builds upon. And that is true by reading the entire Bible, here a little, there a little. Amen. So, because it says that, we need to read the entire Bible and not just say like they do, ha-ha, this verse proves their teaching. Because what they do is always, when you give them the verse I'm going to give you today, they will change the subject every time. But what I would like to encourage you to do is when you give them a verse that refutes their doctrine, and there's many verses that very clearly debunk their doctrine. That when you give them that verse, that you pressure them when they try to change the subject, you should say something like this. Now, wait a minute. Don't change the subject. Answer the question. What does this verse mean? If you answer this question, explain it, and understand what it means. 
then we can go to another subject. But right now, I have given you a verse that proves this doctrine wrong. You have to answer this question. You have to address this other verse. You can't just let the person get away with ignoring that verse because that's what they do. They completely throw it away and ignore it in favor of a verse that sounds like that is confirming their doctrine. They have to answer the question. Amen. Because that's what they want us to do when they present us scriptures. They want us to answer their questions and they will pressure us on that. We need to pressure them right back. Fair is fair. It goes two way now. But they want us to listen, to pay attention, and answer the questions and the doctrines and the verses that they give. They have to do the same thing. Fair is fair. Amen. And besides this word, it's much more than just present. It's a spiritual environment. And once you understand that, it becomes more clear what the truth is. It's not only a present, even though it is a present. Today's topic is called traditional salvation. Conditional salvation. Amen. Conditional salvation. They say that it's unconditional. You don't have to do anything. It's only a gift. Truth is that salvation is conditional. And if you pressure them on this, although they would never admit it, the truth is they believe in the same thing. Traditional salvation. They really do. But you would never, ever, ever, ever get them to admit it because I've tried. The truth is, they say that you have to believe in God, that He is real. Is that not a condition? It is a condition. You have to do this. It is a requirement. And unless you do not fulfill this condition, you cannot be saved. Amen? They are teaching traditional salvation, but they will not confess their truth. They're hypocrites because they will not confess the reality of what they are teaching. And in their own teaching, not only must you believe in God, but you must believe in the God, Jesus. Most of them will say that, except for the Jehovah Witnesses, which you don't even have to believe. Really, in Jesus, because he's only a man, nothing more. He's not God. He's Jehovah Witnesses. So you could probably get away with not even believing in Jesus because he's only a man in their doctrine, which is the same thing the Muslims teach. So let's go to another verse. The first, look at this word sin in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. What is sin? What is sin? You should ask people this question. When they bring up this verse, here's your good verse in return. What is sin? And pressure them on this answer. What is sin? So let's go to the book of 1 John, over here next to the book of Revelation, 1, 2, and 3 John. We're going to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse 3. 
page 237. But not only do they say you have to believe in God, and you must believe in the true God, Jesus, but they also say you have to pray. That's three requirements already. Believe in God, believe in only the one true God whose name is Jesus, or they might say Yeshua, then you have to believe in that name, given a very specific requirement. And then the third requirement is you must pray. You have to pray. This is a requirement. If you don't pray, if you don't actually speak for something out of your mouth or in your mind, you cannot be saved. So requirements. They do believe in conditional salvation. They just won't confess. And in 1 John 3, verse 3, for everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, for he is pure. If we have our eyes, our focus, and our hope, and our attention focused on Jesus, we must purify ourselves because he is pure. Amen? He lives in this temple of ours. He don't want to come and live among filth, filth, sin, trash. But he is pure, and he wants to live in a pure mind, heart, and body. says that we must purify ourselves. Verse 4, And everyone who commits sin, what is sin, also commits transgression of the law. For sin is transgression of the law. How can we say that there is no law, no requirements, no commandments, no do's, no don'ts, when the very definition that the Bible gives for sin is breaking his law, the transgression of his law? So if there is no law that we must do, if there is no requirement, no do's and don'ts, no commandments, then there is no such thing as sin. Amen? So tell them when they say the law is done away with. Well, then according to your doctrine of there is no law, there is also no sin. You cannot have sin if there is no law. Amen? It's impossible. If there's no law, there's no way that anybody on this entire earth can sin. Thus you not commit adultery. <laughs> Is that the law of God? They would say yes. Thus you not murder. Is that the law of God? They would say yes. Thus you not bear false witness. Go all the way down the list. Thus you have no other gods before me. Do you believe in the Ten Commandments? Yes. Do you believe in the Fourth Commandment? You must keep the seventh day. No. The only one I have a problem with within the Ten Commandments. But then outside the Ten Commandments, they embrace giving your tithe to God, which is a law, and they believe in that almost every denomination, every group, every church. They believe in that, but not the holy days. Isn't that being a hypocrite? They do believe in law, just like they do believe in conditional salvation. They do believe in law. 
they do believe in nine out of ten commandments plus tithing. They believe in law. But yet they will use those words, the law is done away. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Amen? Tell them. You just said the law was done away with, but now you just said you believe in the Ten Commandments, nine out of ten plus tithing. Make up your mind because you're contradicting yourself. Amen? You're contradicting themselves. That's called hypocrisy. Amen? That's called hypocrisy. They say one thing and do another. They say one thing but actually believe another. Sin is the transgression of the law. Therefore, if there's any such thing as sin, there is a law of God. Do's and don'ts. Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Page 10, Matthew 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works. Are we supposed to have any good works? They say no. They say you don't have to do anything. No do's, no don'ts, no commandments, no works. By faith are you saved, not through works. There's a verse that says that. But yet this verse says that we are to let our light shine and allow people to see our good works. This is the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5, verse 16. Amen. Now, of course, he's not saying that you should toot your own horn. He's not saying that you should do it out of pride or to be seen as men for that express purpose. But rather, you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart, these good works. You're not doing it to be seen as men. You're doing it for the right purpose, to help somebody. Amen? But when you do that, you don't have to hide it all the time. Amen. Sometimes it is good to hide it if you think that it would cause pride in your mind, if you think it would cause pride in your heart, or if you think you would get too much credit for it from the other person, too much admiration, whatever. Sometimes it's best just not let people know. But then there are other times when you shouldn't talk about it Maybe you was at the gas station and you saw somebody get only $1 of gas in their car. And the thought came to your heart, give them another $5. You don't go home and tell your wife about it. You don't go home and write about it, talk about it on YouTube. Amen. But at the same time, if you're with somebody, you don't have to be so sneaky about it that they don't see it. Your wife is with you. Let her see it. Occur. Let her see you. Give that person another $5 to help them out with a little bit more gas. You don't have to hide it from your own wife when she's standing right beside you. You don't have to tell her, can you please go to these bathrooms so I can do something I don't want you to know about. You don't have to do that. 
Amen. And when you're fasting, and if you're married or if you have children in the house or a roommate, you should tell those people in your own house that you are fasting so they don't lay food down in front of you. So tempt you, ask you if you want something. But you don't go on YouTube or a website or social media and tell the whole world I'm fasting. Amen. So there's differences. In verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish or destroy the law. Talk about the Ten Commandments. If you read the whole chapter, that's what he's talking about. We know that he did remove the law of circumcision. Because it says it straight out, many, many, many places, many places throughout the New Testament that circumcision was done away with, as well as the sacrifices of animals, and as well as clean and unclean meats was done away with. If we read the entire Bible, if we read the entire New Testament, these things are extremely clear in Scripture. There's no doubt if a person will read the whole Bible, if they will do that, and read it with a open mind instead of only believing only what somebody taught them as a child or what somebody taught them. If they read the Bible, the entire Bible with open mind, willing to confess their wrong doctrine when they're proven wrong, then they must very clearly acknowledge and admit that Scripture is clear that circumcision is done away with. Amen? And that clean, unclean meats are done away with. It says that he cleans the meats. It says it. And that the sacrifices are done away with, that we don't have to sacrifice an animal when we sin. That's done away with. Amen? So he did abolish some law. But Jesus is not talking in a hypocritical manner here. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not telling a lie. He's not trying to deceive you. But he's talking about a different set of law. Amen. People don't understand that there is the ceremonial ritual laws of sacrificing, cleaning, unclean meats, and services. And those are ritual ceremonial laws that do nothing but symbolize things, but they don't actually do nothing other than symbolized. Circumcision does nothing for uh, positive for a man's health. Nothing. And it's not needed medically at all. There's no reason for circumcision at all. It only symbolizes, according to what the Bible says, it symbolizes our heart, that our heart needs to be circumcised that our heart needs to come uh, in a condition of being, uncir- or being, being circumcised, meaning that God and us, we are removing the skin of sin. It's just a symbolism. We're moving, removing the skin of sin from our heart. The other than symbolism, it doesn't do anything. Clean and unclean meats doesn't do anything. God did not declare certain food unclean because of health issues. That was not the reason at all. My grandmother ate pork probably almost every day of her life. She lived to be 94 years old. Other people have lived to be over 100, and they did eat pork. 
there are people that are healthier than I am and they eat more pork than I do. And in fact, pork is more lean and actually better for you than beef or chicken, either one. And that is scientific fact. The only problem is that just like salt and sugar and alcohol, people overdo things. That's the problem. People overdo pork, and that is unhealthy. Not eating pork, but overdoing the eating of pork that is unhealthy. It's the same is true about beef. But beef was not ever called unclean. So it's only symbolism that he wanted a nation for himself that was clean and wanted to use the animals to represent clean and unclean people. Because when God did cleanse the Gentiles, he did use the symbolism of unclean animals. And Gentiles were called swine and dogs by the Jewish people for thousands of years. And even in the Bible itself, even in the Bible itself, it calls Gentiles dogs. But that's only, it's not really a true insult, not really. And especially when you come to understand that it's actually should be translated as puppies. Puppies. Children. That love to play and jump on you and lick your face. Now, everybody loves a puppy. Amen. He loves the Gentiles, but he called them by a specific animal that represented unclean because the Gentile nations worshipped the false gods. They had false gods that they worshipped, so they were considered unclean. But the nation of Israel, including all 12 tribes, they worshipped God, and God called them out, chose them by grace and by mercy. Not anything that they did, but only by grace and by mercy. He has looked upon the earth and chosen an entire community of 12 tribes. That's a lot of people not just one tribe, but he had the same mercy and the same grace that he had for one tribe upon another tribe and 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 another tribe. Wow. And even beyond that, the truth is that at all times in history, even a Gentile had the ability to be adopted in to the Israelite family if they were willing to believe in the true God, confess with their mouth their belief in that true God and repent of their sins, repent of pagan holidays, repent of false worship, repent of lies and deceptions, and totally convert and repent and be baptized, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament. Even in Old Testament times, even in Old Covenant times, even in the times of Moses and before Moses. In all times of history, anybody of any color, of any language, of any bloodline, any race, any tribe upon the planet has always had access to salvation. And that's because of mercy and because of grace. That even though he did choose a very specific 12 tribes, that anybody who was willing to serve him could enter in to the family of God. That's mercy, that's, that's grace. Amen. So now I'm going back to this verse 
he didn't create, he didn't come to abolish the law of the Ten Commandments because if you read the entire chapter, look at verse uh, twenty-seven. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. Then he explains that you can do that even in your heart. He didn't say it was done that that commandment was done away with. No, he didn't say it was done away with. But rather, he said you can do this even mentally, even emotionally, even spiritually that this could be accomplished of breaking this law, transgression, this law of committing a sin against God's law. Again, he didn't come to abolish the Ten Commandments, but rather to fulfill it, which means nothing more than to fulfill all the scriptures that were prophesied about him coming upon the earth, dying for our sins, as well as explaining the purpose and the meaning and how to really keep these commandments. If, you, if I have a glass half full and you fill it up, you are fulfilling that glass. You are filling it up. Fulfilling does not mean removal or deleting or reduction. And it does not mean changing. He didn't change his law. What he did was explain the law. Amen. Then if you look at uh, other verses throughout, this chapter is very clear. Look at verse 21. You should not commit adultery. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about circumcision. He's talking about Ten Commandments, right? Amen. So it's very clear that when you read the Bible, if you want to determine whether a certain law, a certain law is done away with or not done away with, look for a verse that says that it is still intact that explains how to keep it, or look for a verse that says it's done away. When you look at tithes, there's no verse in the entire Bible that says it's done away with. It doesn't exist. But people don't want to believe in tithes because that means sacrifice of your money out of your own pocket. And people will say, Jesus, I surrender all to you except my porn my money, my house, my car, my family, my friends, my music, my rock and roll, this magazine, that magazine, that book, that TV show, that movie, that idol, that pagan holiday, and that pagan holiday. I I, I surrender everything to you except all these false gods that they still hold on to, evil and trash that they still hold on to. Amen. But the Bible never says that tithing is done away with. But if you look at circumcision, it's clear cut. The Bible is not a hypocrite. If it's going to make it clear cut about circumcision, it would make it clear cut about tithes as well. But it doesn't say it's done away with. In fact, it's the opposite. That it says King Akashiach, the same one, that Abraham paid his tithes too, that he's still alive and that he is receiving tithes. That's not doing away with. Actually, that is proving that tithes still exist. Amen. It's very clear. It's very simple. These are easy things. Just got to let go of traditional doctrine, man's doctrines and stuff. But show these people where Jesus said that these laws are still intact. The Ten Commandments are still intact. The people say, well, I don't see the seventh day in this chapter. 
Well, that was because the people that he was talking to had no problem with keeping the seventh day. Amen? Everybody in that region in that time, they were all keeping the seventh day. He was in Jerusalem. He was in Israel. He was among Jews. They were keeping the seventh day. He didn't have to teach it. But he addressed the sins of the congregation. Amen. If you've got a congregation where porn is the problem, you preach against porn. If the seventh day is the problem, you preach against about breaking the seventh day. So on. Their problem was hate and adultery in their mind. He addressed the issues that needed to be addressed. He didn't waste time on preaching something they already understood and knew about and were doing and keeping. When you look, look at everything Paul did in all of his writings of the book of, of Paul's writings, he kept the seventh day. He went to church on the seventh day. He went to the synagogue the seventh day multiple times. And people were interested in what he was preaching, and they said, will you please come back next seventh day? And he did. He didn't go there and say, we need to change it to Sunday. No, he went there without saying this is wrong. Because if it was wrong, Paul would have said so, but he didn't. The Bible is very clear. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, page 192. <laughs> <laughs> Page 192, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read you some scriptures now that they will point out to you to try to deceive you because they're not looking at all the writings of Paul and of the entire Bible in that. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were made by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of the people. But Theos, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, meaning that we were zombies, that we were not alive, that we did not have eternal life. We was dead. We did not have eternal life. And we were dead in our sins. That that does not mean dead to sin, but rather we were already dead, already cast to the lake of fire, already judgment sealed upon us because we were in sin. But he made us alive, gave us eternal life. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. <clears throat> meaning, not that you don't have to do anything, but rather meaning that he could have said to himself, I'm not going to save these people. They're in sin. 
They're sinners. They're lost. They're dirty. He could have had the attitude of, I am not going to save these filthy, no goodies. But instead, he loved his own creation, his own children. He loved us and said, I want to help these miserable people. He didn't hate sinners. No. God does not hate sinners. For while we were still in sin, he loved us, the Bible says. And so, it says, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Meaning, even when we were in sin, that we were already sealed with the state of death. But now that we are saved, we are already sealed with the faith of living with Jesus, seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, and having power and authority in the new heavens and new earth. Amen. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And by grace you have been saved through faith. Yes, through faith we had to believe. And not of yourselves, for it is the gift of Theos, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, he saved us before we understood all things. Amen. We may not have understood yet. Maybe, perhaps, we may not have understood about the holy days when we got baptized. Some of us did, some of us did. Hey, when I got... uh, when I first got saved, gave my life to God, truly, truly, truly surrendered. I knew about the Seventh Day and the Holy Days, Christmas, Easter, truth about heaven and hell and all that. But I did not really, did not realize the truth at the time. When I did surrender to God, I did not realize the truth that it would be Russia and China invading America, as I thought it would be Europe. That's what I was taught. I did not know the truth that he did cleanse the animals because I had been told that he did not cleanse the animals. And other issues, the truth about Mark of the Beast, 666, the law, and many other things. There was a lot of truth I didn't know. And guess what? I did continue to live in sin even after I got saved. I did because I had very major habits I had some really bad habits, such as smoking cigarettes and other sins that are much worse than that. It took me time to grow up in Christ. Just like babies when we first saved. And babies and children and young children would make a lot of mistakes and be very rebellious. You can't get 100% clean and all the trash out of your mind and all the trash out of your heart in only one day through one prayer or just by believing or even just by being baptized. That's not going to get rid of all the trash. It is one step forward. It is a step in the right direction. But then you have to keep walking and keep walking, and keep taking the trash out, and keep repenting, and keep learning, and keep growing in Christ, and keep maturing. Amen. 
So it wasn't by knowledge of all truth or everything that we could or could not do that we were saved, but rather it was by the love of God that God said, you know what, that boy, he's got a lot still wrong with him. He's still messing up. But he's got the right heart, the right mind, the right intent, that he truly did mean what he said, that he's going to surrender to me. But he is surrendering to me. I'm going to have to wash him up. I'm going to have to clean under his armpits. I'm going to have to clean his butt every day. But he is my child, and I am saving him right here, right now. He's not perfect, but by my love, by my mercy, and by my grace, I choose to save him, not because of his works, but by mercy and by grace. I have said many, many, many times, and I wish people would hear this, these people that always accuse me of teaching salvation by works. There's many of those people. If they would listen to an entire sermon, if they would read the entire lesson, instead of judging me in the first five minutes of a speech, of a sermon, but listen to everything I have to say and hear me out on the matter. The Bible says, even the Bible itself says, that he that judges a matter before hearing the entire matter, he is a fool. Amen. I have said many, many, many times that you can get baptized, that you can keep the seventh day and all the holy days and pay more times than anybody else. You can do everything that you can do and yet still not be saved and still not make it to heaven. And that's why we got two resurrections. Because a lot of people, it takes longer to get everything cleaned up and to really, really become a very mature person, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It takes time. It's not a one-day thing. It's a lifetime journey. It's two lifetimes journey. Amen. So you can do all the law and still not be saved because it's a matter of, is that heart circumcised? Is that heart clean? Because this flesh is not going to heaven. Amen. This flesh is not going to heaven. But my heart, my mind, my character, my spirit, my soul, that is the part that needs to be uncircumcised, that needs to be clean. And I can do everything with my hands and my feet about keeping the commandments, but if my heart and my mind is not clean, I will not make it in. So I do not teach salvation by works. I do teach mercy. I do teach grace. I do teach the love of God. But even though he does save us by his love, his mercy, and by his grace, while we still had some sin in our life, even though that is true, the Bible is very clear in it, that we must repent, that we must become clean, that we must purify ourselves, that we must become holy, that we must remove all sin from our lives. Is everything I just said true or wrong? You judge for yourself. Does the Bible teach keeping of the seventh day? Hebrews 4, when it's translated right, says there is still the keeping of the seventh day to the people of God. Hebrews 4. 
Paul many times going to the synagogues and preaching in different places on the seventh day without ever saying that this is wrong and that we had to change or repent. So forth. He said, let us keep the feast, Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I'd like for you to write it down. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 8, and I'm going to turn there right now. I'd like for you to turn there after services sometime later today. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 8. Paul said, let us keep the feast. Talking about the feast of unleavened bread. Amen. And he said, but not with the malice, not with the unclean malice or envy and jealousy, whatever he listed. There are several things. So he said, let us keep the feast. But he also said, in different words, we've got to do it with a clean heart and clean mind. He actually said, not with envy and jealousy. So yeah, we keep the commandments, but we also got to clean our heart. So let us keep the feast, but not with envy and jealousy and so on and so on. Covering both angles. Amen. You've got to keep the commandments, but you've got to do so with a clean heart. Otherwise, the commandments are in vain. Amen. Commandments are in vain if you're not cleaning up your heart and your mind, your soul, your spirit. Amen. Now let's look at verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Because when we got saved, hey, we had never kept the holy days yet. We might have kept the seventh day, maybe a month, and then we got baptized. We did not have much works to speak of. And then when we got saved, because the Bible is you know, very clear that once you make the decision to live for Jesus and repent and accept the truth, you get baptized right away as soon as possible. Amen? So we didn't have a long list of, well, I've been keeping the seventh day for 20 years. No, we didn't have a long list of works. Amen? When we got saved. But now that we are saved, God is keeping a list of works. Amen? He is keeping a list of works of what you do and what you don't do. Amen? You know how I know that? I'd like for you to read, write this down as well. Matthew 25. And read that whole chapter. Matthew 25 later today or tomorrow. Matthew 25. Because when you very, 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 very first start, Matthew 25 is talking about the ten versions. Five of them make it in, five of them don't. Now, all ten virgins, members of the church, believers in Jesus Christ, all ten virgins believed in Jesus. Did they not? All ten virgins believed in Jesus. But only five, only half of those make it in. But then when you get to the later part of that same chapter in Matthew 25, you see that when he sits on the right white throne judgment at the end of the 1,100 years, that he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. The goats will be on the left, the sheep will be on the right. And he says, you did do this, and you didn't do this. So ain't he keeping a list of works? Is that true? Am I lying? 
Am I deceiving anyone here? Is it the truth or not the truth that Jesus is going to have a list that you did feed the poor or you did not feed the poor? That you clothed people, that you fed people, that you visited people when they're sick or in prison? Will Jesus have a list of your works or not? Am I telling the truth or am I not telling the truth? Am I deceiving you? Am I twisting the scripture? Or am I what I'm saying is the truth or not the truth? Amen. Going back to Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, meaning he's creating something in us. We are his pottery, created in Christ Jesus for. We were created in Christ Jesus for. Good works. Amen. Now it just got done saying we're saved by grace. But now it's saying we were created to do good works. Amen. Which Theo's prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, he has made some people to have the gift of prophecy and others to have the gift of tongues. And the others have a gift of faith that actually is a gift to have a great faith or the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge or the spiritual empowerment of knowledge is when God puts words in your mind or feelings in your heart of certain thing about a certain people, certain person. And there's no way you can know it. But only God gives you this knowledge about something about a person, and then you go and speak it to that person. That's a word of knowledge, or gifts, spiritual empowerment, knowledge. It's not being a psychic. Because psychic knowledge about a person's life is of the devil and it's witchcraft. And it's not from God. It's a counterfeit. Psychic ability is a counterfeit of the true gift, the true spiritual empowerment of knowledge from God. Counterfeit of that. So there is the spiritual empowerment of the knowledge that is from God. Even the gift of singing that God may give a spiritual empowerment for a person to be able to sing or play a musical instrument or be good at the internet, websites, blogs, programming, whatever that God gives us. He has preordained us for our talents, our gifts, our abilities, that we may walk in these things. We were created for this. Even before he created us, even before he put us in the belly of our mother, he said, Michael, your name will be Michael. You will be born to this particular uh, dad and mom. You will be born in a certain town, and this will be your skills and your talents. It's all ordained. But we can walk away. From God's will. Unfortunately, we can walk away from God's will. Not everything is ordained because he ordains things that then people walk away from salvation, which they are ordained to get saved. Just because we're ordained to speak to be saved doesn't mean we will be saved because he gave us freedom to choose to follow him or not follow him. 
He wants us to follow him. That is what we were created for, is to follow him. Even the most wicked person on this planet in the flesh, a real human, the most wicked, even he or she is ordained, created to serve God. We are his creation. We are his children. And he loves every person. It's not only for anyone to perish, but for all to come to everlasting life. But some will perish of their own choosing. We have freedom to choose, follow him, or follow evil. We have that freedom. It's a good thing because he does not want us to be robots. He does not want us to be robots. So let's go back here now, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, whether you were Gentiles or not, well, actually, he's talking about Gentiles in the flesh. He's talking to a people here who are not Jews. Amen? He's not talking to Jews here. He's talking to the church at Ephesus, which was, this was called the book of Ephesians, because the name of the town was Ephesus, one of the seven towns that the seven letters of the book of Revelation. There were seven letters in the book of Revelation. One of them was sent to the Ephesians or the book of the people at Ephesus. Here, now that was John writing down what God and the angels were saying. But here is Paul talking to these same people before that, before John wrote the letter to the seven churches. So these are Gentiles that Paul is talking to. And he said that Formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, meaning that they were all uncircumcised as Gentiles would have been, and the Jews actually called them the uncircumcision. So instead of saying, well, you are Henry and Steve and so on and so on, the, the Jews would mock these people and say, you are the uncircumcision, like calling them a dog. You are a uncircumcision. You are dirty. You are filthy. Is what the Jews would call an uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision performed in the flesh by human hands. Verse twelve. That, <laughs> that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth, the tribes, the nation of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without theos in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We're not saved by the Ten Commandments. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And by and for he himself is our peace, who made both, talking about Gentiles and Israelites, into one, one family. Gentiles are being drafted in, adopted in, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Talking about temporary, ceremonial, ritual laws of clean, unclean needs, circumcision, and sacrifices. Those are done away with. And until they were done away with, only the Jews and only all the 12 tribes get saved unless a Gentile were willing to obey that law. Now, a Gentile could come into the family of God in the Old Covenant time, 
but they had to agree to be circumcised, which does absolutely nothing for your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, or your spiritual health. Does nothing. But they had to agree, the Gentiles had to agree, I will come under this ritual ceremonial law in obedience to God, and I will do this work because that was the commandment of God at the time. But now, according to this verse and many other verses, that dividing wall, that summoning block, that hindrance has now been removed so that any race, any person, any male, any female, Jew and Greek, can all come to the throne of grace. But there are still conditions. The conditions are no longer having anything to do with circumcising. That condition is gone. Clean, unclean, lead, circumcision, and your bloodline, your race, your language, all those conditions have now been removed. He's opened the door to more people through the blood of Jesus Christ. He came to be a Savior. He came to die for our sins. He didn't come to do away with all law but he did come away to do away, he did come to do away with only the law that was a hindrance to the people. Amen. So that now anybody can get saved. He's making it easier to get saved. He didn't come to make it harder to get saved, but rather he came he came to make it easier to get saved. And for one thing, when we were primitive men, he had to teach us as children and use building blocks and use primitive things and physical things to get it into our mind of what we're doing, what we're being taught. But now that we're getting closer to the end time, even at that time that he came as an infant and as a man upon the earth, it was getting closer and closer to the end time, even at that time. So he's opening the door wider, even though it is a narrow way. It is a narrow way. Not everybody can make it in. But the false church is making it seem like everybody can make it in. So easy. Hey, he wants to make it easier, but not that easy. Come on now. Broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way to eternal life. Amen? So going to verse 15. By abolishing in the flesh the enemy, circumcision, the law of orders and ordinances, notice it doesn't say here that he is abolishing the commandments. Here in Ephesians 2, verse 15. He's not abolishing the Ten Commandments and not the seventh day and not the holy days and not tithing. But he is abolishing the law of orders and ordinances, talking about clean, unclean meats, circumcision, and sacrifices. So that in himself he might take the two Gentiles and Israel into one new man, thus establishing peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to the earth. Now let's look at some other places in the Bible here. Let's look at Galatians 3, because we're going to use this as well. Galatians chapter 3. 
verse 1, page 189. They're always going to pull out the book of Romans and Galatians, books like this, because Paul was teaching a whole lot against legalism where a lot of the Jews had a problem with letting go of the circumcision. They had a problem with letting go of the unclean meats and the sacrifices because, I mean, they had lived under these laws forever. Amen? So they they had a problem letting go of those things. So Paul spoke a whole lot against legalism of depending upon your own works to get saved. Amen? So people need to understand that. He wasn't preaching against obedience. Come on now. He wasn't preaching against obedience to God. He wasn't preaching against repentance of stopping the sin and starting to live right. He didn't preach against that. He didn't preach against repentance. He didn't preach against the Ten Commandments ever, 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 ever. No words did he say, you no longer have to keep the seventh day. No, no, no words did he ever say that you should not keep the feast days. And, and, but rather, he said, let us keep the feast. Amen? It's very clear, very simple, very easy. But the false believers, the false church, who really does not believe, amen, they think they believe, but they really don't. Amen. They very ignorant, unfortunately. That's very sad. But they're very ignorant of what Paul really stood for. Amen? Now, the Galatians, he's talking to the Gentiles again because not only did he have to deal with the Jews being over-legalistic and depending upon the old law and had a hard time coming out from that, but he also was saying to the Gentiles who had false gods, many gods, pagan holidays, horoscopes, Greek mythology, Greek stories, witchcraft, and all kinds of problems and sins of their own. Amen. So now when we read Galatians now, he's also again talking to the Gentiles. We have to keep that in mind. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who has who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so Abraham believed Theos, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness that he believed God, that he believed Theos. This was reckoned to him as righteousness. <laughs> Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that Theos would equip the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel before his hand to Abraham, saying, All the nations 
will be blessed in you, the entire earth. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, it doesn't say necessarily the Ten Commandments, but it does say all things. That would include circumcision, amen? That would include clean and unclean meats. That would include sacrifices. So it's saying to these people, the Gentiles, because there were Jews saying, this is how you get saved. The Jews were saying, you have to be circumcised. Now, isn't that true, Brittany? that the Jews were telling Paul, even Timothy, that they had to be circumcised. So the Jews were telling these Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised. But Paul is telling them, don't listen to these people. It's not by your words that you're saved. It's by faith. You do have to believe. It is by faith. It's not by doing everything written in the entire book. Because if you do that, you have to do everything, including stoning a witch, stoning somebody that is committing adultery, so forth, so forth, so forth. So if obedience and salvation is not by everything written, because we know that some of it was done away with. Verse 11, now that no one is acquitted by the law, but what law? Just like when Jesus spoke, I did not come to abolish, or think not that I come to abolish the law and the prophets. What law was he talking about? Again, there's two sets of law. There's the Ten Commandments, which is directly tied to the holy days because Saturday is a holy day. Saturday is a holy day. So the, the seventh day, being a holy day, connects with all the other holy days. You can't say that you must keep the seventh day, but you don't have to keep the other holy days. Because on the seventh day is the chief, the foundation, the weekly reminder of holy days. And we know from Zechariah 14 that, yes, it's still required, even after Jesus comes back, even for the Muslims, even for the Gentiles, even for the Egyptians, for all nations of the earth. So it's very clear that we still got to keep the holy days. You can't get more clear. It's very simple, very easy. Amen? to know what to do and what not to do. So if Jesus said he did not abolish the law, but yet he did abolish some law, then you have to identify what law he's talking about. In Matthew 5, it's talking about the Ten Commandments that he did not delete. But now that we're reading in Galatians, what law is Paul talking about? Circumcision. How do we know that? I'd like for you to go to chapter 2, verse 12. But prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself under the fear and the party of the circumcision. Underline the word circumcision. Then look at chapter 5, verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. Behold, I, Paulus, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Underline circumcision. Verse 3, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision. Underline circumcision. Verse 6, 
for your Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Underline both of those words. Verse 11. The I, brother, if I still preach circumcision. Underline circumcision. Chapter 6, verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. Underline both words. Eight times. Eight times the word circumcision or uncircumcision appears in the book of Galatians. I dare you to try to find the word Sabbath in the book of Galatians. It's not there. It's not there. Neither is the word feast or feast days or holy days or unleavened bread or tabernacles or Pentecost or Passover. So not one time in the book of Galatians does it mention anything at all about tithes, holy days, seventh day, or the Ten Commandments. But rather, over and over and over, the context is circumcision. Amen? So if the context is circumcision, and he said so eight times, then what law is Paul preaching against? Circumcision. Amen? Is that the truth, or is it not the truth? If he was talking about the seventh day and the holy days, why, why did he not even mention it? Come on now. If he was really talking about the Ten Commandments or the Seventh Day of the Holy Days or tithing, why did he not even mention it, not even one time in the entire letter, but rather over and over and over again, circumcision? What law is he preaching against? You answer that. Amen. And it says here, going back to chapter 3, Chapter 3, verse 11. Now that no one is acquitted by the law of circumcision, context before Theos is evident, for the righteous man should live by faith. However, the law is not a faith about circumcision, because circumcision doesn't do anything. On the contrary, he who practices them, circumcision, shall live by them, but it doesn't help. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law of talking about circumcision. How it become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that he, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Rather than I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, is the Ten Commandments a man's covenant? No. The Ten Commandments, God's covenant. Amen? But circumcision is called man's covenant because it was just for temporary ceremonial ritual purposes to represent things, represent, but have no real importance, other than symbolism. Yeah, when it was, has been ratified, no one sits in it aside or asks conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seed, as referring to meaning, the brother to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law of circumcision, unclean meats, by the context that this is what Paul is talking about, this came 430 years later. 430 years after what? After Abraham. 
Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph. Talking about after the crossing of the Red Sea, that he talks about additional laws of, <coughs> of you got to wait for the seventh year um, to do certain things and so forth, so forth, a lot of other laws. But we end with the seventh day. We end. Did God tell us first time God ever told us anything about the seventh day? Was it when Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea 430 years after they began their slavery in Israel in, in Egypt? No. No. The seventh day was instructed to us. It was blessed. It was sanctified. We were notified about it right there in Genesis chapter 2. Amen? So is it talking about the seventh day here? Because this law is talking about did not occur until they were freed from Israel. Right? 430 years after they uh, entered into captivity. So it, it can't be talking about the seventh day. It can't even be talking about the holy days because they were keeping the holy days as well. They kept Passover even before they crossed the Red Sea. So it's talking about circumcision, clean, unclean, these things that came later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by theos of talking about faith so as to unify the promise. But the inheritance is based on that law that is no longer based on a promise that theos has granted it to Abraham, talking about circumcision. You read about Abraham, God told Abraham to be circumcised. So again, even by talking about Abraham, it's preaching against circumcision. Amen. Everything about the context, everything about the context, mentioning Abraham, that this law was added 430 years later, and talking using the word circumcision and uncircumcision eight times. Everything about the context is talking about circumcision. Amen. Is that true or is it not true? Am I lying? Am I twisting? Am I deceiving? You answer that. So, you get it. <coughs> Look at 1 John chapter 2 over here near the book of Revelation 1 John chapter 2. The people will show you that what we just read, the Baptist church, the Catholic church, other churches, Lutheran church, they would show you what we just read and, and tell you that means that the seventh day was done away with. But the seventh day was created right from creation, right from the very seventh day of the creation of the planet. That's not 430 years later. So you show this to people. This is not talking about the seventh day. It's talking about circumcision. Very, very clear. But they're ignorant of these facts. Ignorant of these facts because nobody has ever, ever, ever in their entire life took the time to show them the truth. And if somebody did take the time to show them the truth, they put a wall up in their heart, up in their mind, They put up a wall of uncircumcision. 
they put up a wall of skin of fat on their heart so that the truth cannot enter in. They need to circumcise their heart and allow the truth in. But a lot of them will not allow the truth. They have changed the topic because they can't answer the truth. When you show them, this is talking about Abraham, which is very directly connected with circumcision. That was the law that Abraham was given. And the word circumcision over and over, and nowhere does it talk about the Sabbath and so forth, and all these different facts. They cannot answer it. They can't answer it. They have no response other than to change the topic. Don't let them change the topic. How do you, wait a minute now, answer this. Answer this. But even then, when you show them the verse in Genesis 2 where the seventh day was right from the beginning, thousands of years before Moses was born, amen? Thousands of years before the Old Covenant. But circumcision was added later on, amen? Unclean, unclean meats, they were added later on, so forth. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, 1 John 2, verse 3, page 236. <laughs> I'd like for Michael to stand up, please, and come up close to here. You can come around if you want to. Take my voice a little bit. Michael's going to be verse... Uh, three through verse six, please. By this we know that we have come to know him, which is Jesus' commandment. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Amen. Thank you. How clear can you get? They say you don't have to keep the Sabbath day. The commandments. But this, John says, that if you do not keep his commandments, you are a liar. If you, if you say that you know him. These people, they say they know him, and they don't. They don't know him. They don't walk in the same manner that he walks. Amen. They don't walk in the same manner he walks. Look at what, Matthew 28. Go there real quick. The last verse of Matthew Last verse of Matthew, not the last verse, but the last chapter and the last few verses. Matthew 28. And let's start with verse. Verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the anethyses, meaning races, immersing them in water, in my name. Verse 20, teaching them to do nothing? No. Teaching them to only believe? No. It says, all right, go forth, making disciples, baptizing people of all races, teaching them to do what? To observe all that I have commanded you. That means teach the people the law of the Ten Commandments. Because Jesus did teach the law of the Ten Commandments. He did not teach the law of circumcision. You can look for that. Look, everything he ever said as a, as a man on earth, as Messiah's, he never once said circumcision is still required. Never once said sacrifices are still required. Never once said that tithing was done away. Never once said the holy days are done away or the seventh day is done away or the Ten Commandments are done away. But all the teachings of Jesus Christ, these are the things we go into all the world, to all nations, teaching them everything that he taught. Everything he taught. Not what we've been taught to teach by mankind, but what Jesus taught. Talking in him, walking in his footsteps, he was our example. Walk as he walked. Amen. Until the end of the world, it says. Until Paul died? No. Some people would teach that. Some people would teach that after Paul died, or after Peter died, or after John died, then that's when that the Ten Commandments was done away with. Or when the gifts, the spiritual gifts, the spirit, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, ended when each humans died. Where does the Bible say that? Now, come on, how foolish can people get? But they make these things up. And then when you address these things, they want to change the subject because they cannot prove their doctrine. Amen. They would take verses and twist them. And when you give them a verse that proves what they said as wrong, they will change the subject every time. Look at Acts chapter 2. They even twist this. Well, they love to twist scripture. Acts chapter 2. This is written by Dr. Luke, who was a doctor, and he was also from Syria. Luke, the only Gentile that wrote in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, because Peter was preaching, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, convicted of their sins. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? What was uh, Peter's answer? Did Peter say, All you got to do is repeat these words after me, or just believe, or just pray? No. He didn't say any of that. But rather, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. What does repent mean? That Greek word actually means to turn around. So you've been going one direction in your life, and you must turn around and go the other direction. You've been living in sin. You've not been keeping the seventh day. You've not been keeping the holy days. You've not been tithing. 
you have not been worshiping God, you have not been reading the Bible, and but now you're turning around, becoming a new person in Christ Jesus, going the opposite direction. That's much more than just believing. Because according to the Baptist church, all you got to do is pray and believe that you don't have to turn around and change your life. All you got to do is believe. So all you got to do is believe. That is a satanic doctrine of the devil. Amen. It's a lie of the devil. Turn around, repent, change your life. That's what you must do. Then each of you to be immersed. You're not to be baptized until you do. Make a decision that you're going to change your life and that Jesus is going to change your life. Now, again, again, I would say, I will repeat, you're not going to be 100% turned around yet. You're still going to be filthy. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to slip up. But you have decided, I'm going to start keeping this up today because that's a very basic thing. That's a very, very, very basic thing. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So you make that decision that Jesus is God, that Jesus is his name, that you're going to keep the very basic law of the Ten Commandments, the seventh day, and that you must be baptized. And it says, why? It says right here, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What does the false church say? Pray for forgiveness. But this says you be baptized for forgiveness. So which is it? I'd rather believe the Bible rather than man. Amen? Get baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, you've got to pray. That's part of repenting. Of course, you've got to pray. But you've got to do more than pray. You've got to actually take action actually do something to turn around. You can't just pray and then do nothing. You have to pray and then actually change your lifestyle. Actually quit a job, if that's what it takes, in order to keep the seventh day. You have to do something. They believe in conditional salvation as much as we do, but they're liars and won't admit what they believe. Amen. We believe what the Bible says. And you will, not maybe, not maybe, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, that receiving of the Holy Ghost is conditional. It is conditional. It's based upon how you repented, how you believed, how you been baptized. Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? It is conditional. How are you going to receive the Holy Ghost if you don't follow everything it says here? Number one, repent. Number two, be baptized. Then receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is conditional. Salvation is conditional. But he chooses to save us. He could say, I'm not going to save him because he's still not going to be clean. God could say that. I know he's still going to make mistakes. I'm not going to give him a chance. I'm not going to give him the opportunity to grow. God could say that, but that's not his character. Amen? God is merciful. God
God is loving. He could say, I know that she is still going to make mistakes. I'm not going to save her. I'm very, very thankful that God did save me even though I remained a mess for a really, really, really long time. But God didn't give up on me. And I didn't give up. It was hard. It was a struggle. I dealt with homosexuality. I dealt with drugs. I dealt with other sins. I was not perfect. But by grace and by mercy, because God saw that I was making a decision to repent as best as I could at that moment. We're not saved only because we got wet. Getting wet doesn't do nothing. You can go swimming every day of the week. Does that save you? But you are saved through baptism because baptism is the forgiveness of sins. It's how you wash away the sin. But it's by the blood. And if you get baptized or go swimming, but the blood is not applied to you, if Jesus turns the other way and says, hey, I see he's getting wet, but he's still not ready. He's still, he's still, I'm just not going to give, it's possible, it's possible that God would say, I'm not giving him my Holy Ghost. That's possible. Because the person still has skin on their mind that they're not really repenting. They're just going to go back to their same routine the very next day. They're going to get baptized on Saturday. I mean, Sunday, nothing about their life has changed. They're still working on the seventh day. They're still keeping Christmas. They're still keeping Easter. They still believe in a Trinity God. How can that be true salvation? So God sees whether or not we're going to repent. Either we do repent or we don't repent. But you're going to make mistakes, yes. But do you believe the truth? And are you going to try your best? Are you sincere about what you are doing? Or are you just following man? There's a lot of people. I've known people in my life to confess to me that when they got saved, so-called saved, falsely saved in the Babylonian church, they just went up because somebody held their hand and took them up there to the altar. But it wasn't sincere in their heart. And I've seen people do this in the false church, take them by the hand and, and, and help them come to the altar. No, it has to be their own choice. They have got to be the ones who decide. And it's got to be their words. And it's got to be true and sincere repentance that they're making a real and true decision that tomorrow, life is going to be different. Tomorrow, life is going to be different. That's true repentance. And, and if that is true, then he is not going to withhold the Holy Ghost. He's not going to withhold the Holy Ghost. Amen? And in the Pentecostal church, the way they do, is to know that you got the Holy Ghost, you have to speak in tongues. You have to, under their doctrine. 
but that's not written in the Bible anywhere. There's no words in the Bible, no words. It doesn't say that you have to speak in tongues, but actually it says the opposite. It says, does everybody have a gift of prophecy? No. Does everybody speak in tongues? No. Does everybody have the interpretation of tongues? No. Is everybody a pastor? No. Is everybody a prophet? No. God gives different gifts, different spiritual requirements, different ordaining, different calling for everybody. We should not walk in somebody else's steps trying to copy anybody else. Amen? But rather, we walk after Jesus in his footsteps, copying Jesus Christ, and not try to have the gift of prophecy just because Pastor Tim has the gift of prophecy. Or not just sing just because Brittany sings. Or to have the gift of knowledge only because Michael has the gift of knowledge or whatever. You've got to find what God's calling is for you, not copy somebody else. You've got to find what God's calling is for you. What is your gift? What is your spiritual empowerment? What is your ordaining, your calling in life? Amen. And that comes with time. He might make it known to you on day number one, or it might take a year or two or so for you to figure it out or for him to reveal that to you. But you have to live for God yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can take you to the altar. Nobody can tell you what words to say. You have to live for God yourself in sincere, sincere trueness of heart. And if you do that, God is not going to withhold his presence. He will come live with you because you have invited him in sincerely. He'll come live with you and speak to you and teach you and strengthen you and help you get cleaned up over time. Amen. And that's only by mercy and grace. But it is conditional. You think of how at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and the ordinances, God told Moses and Aaron to tell the people to wash their hands sanctify themselves. But not only that, but also God asked a question to the people. Will you keep my commandments? And will you enter this covenant with me, this contract with me? Will you live for me? Will you be my people? Will you be clean? Will you follow me? Will you worship me? Will you be my bride? God was doing a marriage proposal Israel, and now we are spiritual Israel, and now we are spiritual Jews, and he is proposing to us. And when you get married, you devote yourself to that person. Amen? You are tied to that person physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You become one with your partner, with your wife, with your husband. And it's not to be any different with Jesus Christ. You have conversations with him. You listen to you listen to his cures, his concerns. And you share your cures, your concerns with him. You spend time with him like you would a husband or wife. And you are sincere that you're not going to cheat on him with Christmas or Easter. You're not going to compromise and follow false gods and false spirits and angels. But you're going to worship him, serve him, and live for him day and night. You're going to have a relationship, an intimate, deep, sincere, true love. And you're going to continue to fall in love with him more and more and more. Amen. You're going to continue to fall in love with Jesus Christ. We're going to be 
at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, if we make it in the first resurrection. Amen. And even if we make it to the second one, and at the end of time, he put on the right among the sheep, and Jesus says, well done, my faithful servant. You have fed. You have taken care of the poor. You did take care of the homeless. You did help the people. You did do the do's. And you didn't do the don'ts. You did keep my commandments of loving your neighbor as yourself. You did keep the commandments of loving your wife, your husband. You did keep the commandments of loving me first above all, the first commandment. You did keep my seventh day. You kept my holy days of my kingdom. You recognized me, obeyed me, served me, walked in my path. I have lived with you. You have lived with me. Come on in to the bridal chamber. Come on in to the intimacy of forever. Amen. And we shall praise him forever and ever. But it's all conditional. Amen. It is conditional. If it wasn't conditional, then even Hitler would make it in. Am I telling you the truth? Is that true or is it not true? If it wasn't conditional, even Hitler would make it in. Even Obama would make it in. Even Hillary Clinton. Even Satan. Even Assad. Even the mass killers, every evil person, every evil thing would make it in if it wasn't conditional. There has to be qualifications. Amen? He called us and chose us by love, but then we have to choose him right back. You can't get married unless both persons agree. Amen? Somebody might chase after you because they love you. They might chase after you and chase after you and chase after you. And God does chase after us. But if we never give up, give in, and surrender to him, he will leave us. He'd be like, well, I tried. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried but they did not love me in return. It is conditional. You have to love God. That's the first commandment and the greatest commandment of all, to love God and to love fellow man as yourself. Ain't that a condition? To love God and to love fellow man, ain't that a condition? And the Bible is very clear that if we do not love our brother, we are not going to make it in. Ain't that a condition? Amen. Amen. We still have to obey God. Even a coupon for a free item. I get these coupons all the time for 20% off, 25% off, or a free item down at the hardwood store. I'm so very blessed that God put a brand-new hardwood store just right down there, right down there. I can go and play as a young child in a hardwood store and just, and touch the hammers and touch the... they got the greatest, biggest tools I've ever seen in my life. Amen, Michael. They've got this wrench that is as tall as I am. A wrench as tall as I am. So it's a wonderful place, and they give out free stuff, free gifts. But when you take a coupon in there, there's an expiration date on it. And sometimes it's only the coupon's only good for two days, and you have to go on a certain day. And you have to buy something else in order to get this one thing free. There are, even when you have free stuff, there are qualifications. Amen? God ain't just going to give every, every spirit, every being, every flesh upon this earth a free ride. He's not going to give babies a free ride. 
There's only one way to heaven. Only one way into the paradise of new heaven, new earth. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way. You don't enter in only by grace alone. But also you have to fit the qualifications, the agreements. You have to love him back, obey him, and honor him just like a wife should obey and honor her husband. And that's just a plain out truth, whether you like it or not. Amen? Because the marriage couple is the picture of Jesus and the church, that the man is the head of the wife and Jesus is the head of the church. And it's a picture. The way the woman and the man relate to each other is a picture of Jesus Christ with the church. Amen? And so when you're in a relationship with your husband, with your wife, there are conditions there as well. And the same is true of Jesus and the church, of which the uh, marriage couple represents and symbolizes. Amen? So you can learn even just from that right there. You can learn just from that right there that we do have to be obedient, that we do have to honor and obey our husband, Jesus Christ, even as a wife does. And she is learning that through her husband, who hopefully is pointing her to Jesus Christ. Amen. And every man is called to be a pastor of his own family. A man might not be called to be a pastor of a church or a congregation. Most men are not. But here, unless you live here in the mountains of Tennessee, because here evidently in the mountains of Tennessee, every man thinks that he is a preacher. They all do. So the truth is that not every person is called to be a preacher or a pastor. You can accept God, live for God, and just be a singer or a prayer warrior. Or have this gift or that gift or this gift or that gift. Each person assigned their calling. Not every person should speak in tongues. Not every person should be a prophet. Not every person should be a apostle. Not every person should be a preacher. But... <laughs> But every man who is married is the pastor, individual pastor of his family, teaching them the word of God. It may be the word of God if he's a pastor of a congregation, only within sermons, because pastor is busy all the time. But one way or another, that man is going to teach his wife the word of God, whether it's one-on-one or in the sermons if he is a pastor of an entire congregation. He's going to lead her, love her, and bless her. Oh, i got to stop. So I think you understand. Uh, read Zechariah 14 uh, about feast days. It's very, 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 very clear. And if anybody has any questions, please feel free to email me, text me, whatever, and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I don't want to force I don't want to be over authoritative, over patron. If you have a question, feel free always. If you have a question, but this verse seems like it's saying the opposite thing. Well, show me that verse. Give me the opportunity to address that verse before you make up your mind to completely drop out of this ministry or to not believe that particular doctrine. Show me the verse that troubles you. Give me a chance to uh, show you the context, the entire chapter, so forth. 
And it may be so, so very, very, very clear to you that I'm wrong on something, but still, still possible to be wrong. I've been wrong about things. And maybe by you showing me that verse, I will change my doctrine. I have changed doctrines before. And I have said many times that if you have not changed any doctrine at all, any belief at all, in a year or in two years, then you're not growing. You're not growing. How can you say you're growing if you have not changed your mind, your doctrine, of anything at all in two years or even in one year? How can you say you're growing in the truth or in his spirit, in his presence? Amen? And you have seen yourself that I have proclaimed doctrines within these last 12 months that I did not teach previously, such as that a man can be married to multiple women, even as Jesus himself is marrying half of those ten virgins. So I have changed my doctrine, my teaching. And there's been other things as well. Many, many times over the years, I have written articles that kind of just blow the top off <laughs> because they're definitely not mainstream, not mainstream teaching, different from the traditional church, different from the traditions of mankind. And that's a good thing because if I'm just going by what I was taught as a child or what the traditional church teaches, then I'm going to be wrong. The truth is far different from the traditional churches. Amen? And the only way that the bride of Jesus Christ is going to get mature enough to make it in the first resurrection or even at the end of the 100 years, the only way that his church is going to get mature enough is to accept, to be taught, and to accept the meat of his word. Meat. Things that are harder to chew on. Things that are harder to accept because we have been brainwashed by Babylon. Things that are harder and deeper, more difficult to accept because we're coming completely out of mainstream traditional doctrines of mankind. We're coming out of Western mind thinking and accepting the God who planted his people in the Middle East as Middle Eastern people. The truth is not found in Western society. The truth is not found under Western thinking. Amen. So I'm going to end up now. And uh, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for your patience with me. I appreciate your prayers. Pray not only for me, but for Michael and for Brittany as well. Brittany has a cold as well. Not as bad as mine right now, thankfully. And I hope and pray that she, that her cold doesn't be as bad as mine. And pray also that Michael doesn't catch this either. He will be starting a new job on Monday. We praise Jesus Christ for this new job and that Michael has come all the way from New Jersey to be here to serve Jesus Christ, to be part of the ministry of Jesus. This is not my ministry alone, but it's the ministry of Jesus Christ. So I'm glad that Michael has come to serve Jesus and to be my brother, 
and to be uh, Brittany's brother and uh, to be your brother and be part of this family drafted into the tree of life of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray for him for his new job. He starts Monday. And uh, everything concerning the Bible and the ministry, uh, keep this this ministry in prayer uh, every day, every day, every day. Keep this ministry in prayer because we are under attack. Amen. We are under attack. I know that you're under attack too because you're part of this church. You're part of this ministry. We're keeping you lifted up in prayer as well. All this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.